Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Warm welcome to one and all in Jesus' name. Amen. And welcome. It's so wonderful to get people out on a Saturday afternoon. I know that's very difficult. But a warm welcome to, to one and all. How many of you were here yesterday? Because this, in essence, is a continuation of all that we discussed yesterday. Again, we, before we proceed, I want to encourage you to have a manual uh, with you. Because I'm going to use a manual as a point of reference uh, to assist the teaching process. It'll just make things go a bit faster because there's a lot of material to cover and we want to cover as much as possible within the limited time that we have. Yesterday we discussed the whole issue of kingdom economy and how that God has got an economic system. God has a methodology by which he wants his sons to function economically to everything that is held dear in the kingdom of this world, or the world system, what is termed Babylon, the Babylonian system, which incorporates anything economic, political, and or religious that stands in diametric opposition to the purposes of God vested in the principles of God in his kingdom. So if you, in the kingdom, there are principles that regulate kingdom function, that aid purpose, Tell someone principles must always aid purpose. So principles never exist in a vacuum and are not just arbitrary um, out of context. So they always have reference to facilitate a purpose. So in the kingdom of God, you have various principles that govern the lives of the sons of God that facilitate the purpose of God in the sons of God. Now in terms of finances, God has a system. God has a methodology by which he wants his sons to function. That would be a system in reference at least to giving. A system of first fruits, tithes, and, and offerings. Now, the subject of financial stewardship is a broad one. And in future financial conferences, we hope to explore other aspects about stewardship. Stewardship is an all-encompassing um, function with various aspects to it. For the purposes of our present weekend, because of limited time, we're simply focusing on one aspect of the giving uh, character that sons of God should, be, should live by and should employ. And what I'm suggesting is that um, giving should have a threefold chord to it. Abel gave a more excellent offering then than his brother Cain. According to the book of Proverbs, where he says in Proverbs 11 or Proverbs 20, I've written unto you of excellent things, denotes threefold things. And according to Hebrews 8, 6, Jesus has a more excellent ministry. So we find the word excellent recurring. And the description uh, attached to Abel's giving was that it was a, an excellent offering, denoting threefold things. And we said anything threefold is that which is real, solid, and substantial, not easily dislodged, not easily um, 
broken. Okay? So it's solid. It depicts that which is true of divinity, that which is true of deity, always has threefold dynamics to it. And I won't discuss all that we said in reference to that yesterday, except to reiterate the point that in the structure of your giving, always seek to have three expressions of giving. It would be first fruits, tithes, and offerings. Within the category of offerings, there's a whole range of expressions there, okay, which I won't get into right now. For the purposes of today, I want to cover as much as possible in the balance of the teaching regarding the first fruit um, practice. We said that if you were an Israelite in a Jewish economy, living under the old covenant, that God would have expected of you to when your crops ripened, to not eat the first ripened produce, but to take it and to offer it holistically and completely to God. If you're an animal farmer, the firstlings born from your, your, your flock would not be used by you. It would be offered to the Lord as a first fruit offering. Later on, I will demonstrate that this was symptomatic or indicative of the sense of honor within the giver in reference to God. So Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your, with, with your substance or your wealth, with the first fruit of all your increase. At the bedrock of the first fruit principle is the whole idea of honoring God. Everyone say honoring God. Okay? And I will talk to more about this specific verse later on, uh, probably today or definitely by, by tomorrow, depending on exactly how fast we proceed. And so yesterday we said that a modern-day equivalent uh, in our contemporary society would be to offer at least in a specific calendar year the first week's income to the Lord. Okay, The first week's income to the Lord is not touched or eaten by you. It is given holistically as a first fruit offering to the Lord. And I said to you, most people get paid monthly, so that would be 25% or a quarter of your monthly salary. Once off in a 52-week cycle, a calendar year, once off that first week, you give it to the Lord um, as a first fruit offering. The reasons for which we say there are multiple, and I don't want to go into that right now, but you can read the, 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 the manual um, to, to study that a bit further. I then said this to you, but Scripture says, by faith, Abel. Not so? Hebrews 11.4. Everyone say, by faith. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more, a better sacrifice, King James, a more excellent sacrifice than his brother Cain. So, Abel, my point is this, Abel employed the principle of faith to manage or to guide his offerings. Okay? How does faith come? By hearing the word of the Lord. And I said to you yesterday, there's no indication in the Genesis account that God instructed Abel to offer first fruits. But if this text says he did it by faith, how does faith come? Faith can only come by hearing something. So therefore we conclude uh, there must have been some indication from God, at least via Adam or to the boys specifically, that um, this was a valid thing to do. And so Abel, based on what he heard, employed the principle of faith to govern the act of the offering. 
Therefore, listen carefully. Now we in the New Testament, we walk by faith and not by? By faith and not by sight. And faith has got the capacity to grow. Okay? Faith has got the capacity to, to increase. Now, I'm trusting God that my faith also grows too. Relative to how I administrate my first fruits. Because if faith governs the act, according to my faith, so will be my act. Yeah? And if my faith can enlarge, so will my act enlarge. Faith without works is, is dead. So we started off just offering the Lord first fruits, the first week of our income a few years ago now. And I teach this, these principles, not just having studied them. Now, there's no greater testimony to the validity of a thing than when it's revealed to you personally. And out of personal conviction, you operate in the accuracy of the practice. Amen? Now, I said that to say this. I want to encourage you, until it becomes a revelation to you, you will never engage the act by grace. It must always be by grace, by faith through grace. Amen? By faith through grace. So we started practicing this for a couple of years, and we started off with the first week's income, and now we're at the place where we can offer our entire first month's salary to the Lord as a, as a first fruit offering. And we've proven through time our economy has not waned, personal economy. We have not regressed, but in fact, we've elevated. Right? And now you can argue with the man's theology, but you can't doubt his testimony. Yeah? And um, if anything is hotly contested in the global church today, it is the practice of first fruits and tithes. Amen. But we are convinced as to its legitimacy. And if time permits, in the second session today, we're going to have two sessions with a short half an hour break. We have lovely ease prepared for you. But probably in the second session, if time permits, I'll give you several reasons why I consider it a legitimate New Testament practice. Okay. Now, and so everyone say faith. So I'm trusting God. My faith grows. So that faith can govern the act. Okay, faith is more than just confidence in God or trusting God for this and that. Our faith has to do with sight into the unseen realm. Faith, the whole principle of faith is that the one who has faith is convinced of a reality. You know, I said this yesterday and I probably did not complete the thought. I believe part of why Abel offered this by faith was that he saw something in that would persist throughout human history. So, it's the principle of first mention. Everyone say first mention. So, I said to you, the first act um, of offering by a human being to God in the record of Scripture was not a tithe, was not an offering. It was the first fruit. Genesis chapter 4. The first time a human being looked to God and gave him something, this guy Abel gave the firstlings of his flock. The first, recorded, uh, 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 the first record of the tithe in the Bible is in Genesis 14. There it says, Abraham offered a tithe to Melchizedek. But in the order of things, the first recorded offering by humans that found great approval and acceptance by God was the practice of the first fruit. For me, that's important because... The principle of first mention in Scripture, it's a hermeneutical principle. It sets forth the foundation for how that act, in other words, the act of giving offerings to God, is to be viewed 
throughout every other occurrence of the thing throughout the scripture. So for me, Abel being the first, and he's also first one listed in the, the heroes of faith in 11 chap, Hebrews 11 chapter 4. So he sets forth, everyone say foundation. He set forth the foundation for all men to follow in human history. Okay. Remember Abram gave Isaac. Was Isaac his only son? Yes. Right? He did have Ishmael, but when God said to him, take your son, your only son whom you love. So Ishmael is present, but Ishmael was produced as Abram. He wasn't Abraham. He was Abram when he produced Ishmael in the flesh. When his name was changed, which denotes an insertion of grace into him, changing his name from Abram to Abraham, he produced Isaac, the son of? Of promise. So God said to him, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and there sacrifice him. That was typical of a first fruit offering. Because it's the, it's the first boy from heaven's record. From heaven's perspective, it's the only child. It's the first child you produce of promise. And then God says, now take the boy and offer him. Right? Abram had a reference point in Abel as having done something similar. And so Abram in his time is free to offer a first fruit offering. Hannah would offer Samuel, her first and only child, to the service of the Lord in the service of Eli the high priest, remember? And so this pattern would persist. The widow at Zarephath, when Elijah came to her and he said, give me first. Everyone say first. She says, she, she protested initially, I only have a little bit of flour, some meal, we'll bake a cake, we die. He said, no, give me first. Okay? And you can track this pattern throughout Throughout time, such that the heavenly father one day, almost 2,000 years plus more, would give his first fruit, would give his only son to die for the sins of all humankind. There's more than meets the eye if you only consider first fruits financially. It's part of a broad overarching scheme of God's dealings with men. You're giving testimony to it. By the administration of your finance, microcosmically, in your domestic world, in your smallness. But see it as part of an overall scheme. Because Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And yesterday I told you the word beginning there is the Hebrew, reishith. Everyone say reishith. And reishith is one of three words used, translated first fruit. In the first fruit, God made the heavens and the earth, okay? There's much to say about Genesis 1.1, but if I start now, I'll, we'll digress off the topic, okay? I want to stay focused because of, of time, amen. We're going to break at half past three, so we have about 45 minutes left of this specific session. I'm going to jump around in your manual, so if you can refer to page four, just so that we systematically cover a few aspects that I think would be pertinent Perhaps some aspects we omitted yesterday. Exodus 22 and verse 29. Um, the heading there is the significance of first. And then the, the sub point, the bullet point there is timing. Everyone say timing. And the, the, the subtext there is no delay. Now, this is what the Lord said in Exodus 22. You shall not delay the offering 
of your harvest and your vintage. Everyone say, don't delay the offering. Right? Don't delay the offering from your harvest and your vintage. The firstborn of all your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days, and on the eighth day you will give it to me. Let me just make a point here for the sake of your understanding. The first fruit of everything belonged to the Lord, including humans. First child born in a family was to be the Lord's, was to be dedicated and given to the priests in the service of God. God knew the trauma that that would bring to mothers, right? God knew it. And so in your manual, I reference other scriptures where God would set this aside for humans. And then he would rather say, instead of the firstborn of humans, give me the whole tribe of Levi then. And let the tribe of Levi be dedicated unto me as a first fruit offering. So from the tribe of Levi, we were not permitted to have real estate and inheritance of land. When the land was divided, when the land was conquered and divided, remember? Because from the Levitical tribe, the priesthood would be drawn, and then the high priesthood would be drawn. So this tribe would act representatively on behalf of the people to God. So when they stood before God, they would represent the people. But when they stood to the people, they would represent God. They were like an interface between God and the people, administrating spiritual things on behalf of God to the nation and making requests on behalf of the nation um, to God, obviously. And God said the Levites are our minds. It is interesting to note, however, that in Genesis 14, uh, when Melchizedek or when Abram offered tithes to Melchizedek, in the book of Hebrews chapter 7, it's registered there that Levi was in the loins of Abram when he offered tithes to Melchizedek. Remember, there was no nation yet. But prophetically speaking, he embodied, he embodied the whole principle of the, Levit, the, the Levitical order within his being, offering tithes to Melchizedek. There's much to say about that, but I'm going to leave that for my sessions on tithing, which you can get from my website by early next year. Okay? My point here in this specific scripture, Exodus 22 verse 29, it says, no delay. And the Hebrew word for delay is, as you can see in your note, is aha. Now, it is also pronounced aka, right, or aha. And the strictest meaning of this word is indicated in your notes. It means to hesitate, to tarry, to defer, to hold back, or to come too late. First fruit is first fruit. That's why it's called first. It's not called second, third, fourth, or fifth. It is called first, and that which comes first must be offered to the must be offered to the Lord. The issue of timing here is very, very important. What is interesting to me is that the word aha or delay also means to hesitate or to procrastinate. Now, I break all hesitation in your mind even as you're listening. Amen. The spirit of revelation and, and of illumination must grip your heart. There must be resolve and a readiness within the heart to say, yes, God, I'm prepared from the point of view of revelation to enact this principle. Okay? No hesitation, no duplicity. The Bible says a double-minded man is, un is unstable in all his ways. When the mind of your spirit says yes, in terms of what you're hearing as true 
from God's word. And the carnal aspect of the mind of your soul rebels against what you are hearing. Then you are double-minded. And a double-minded man is unstable in, in all his ways. So within the same man, you can have two minds. The mind of the spirit versus the mind of the soul. But there must be agreement. There must be concord between the mind of your soul and the mind of your spirit. And where two or three shall agree as upon touching any one thing, it shall be done for them. I know we quote that scripture in reference to persons, two or three persons. But within the person, singularly himself, both aspects of his being, outside of his body, the other two aspects are spirit and soul. Both minds of those parts of you must agree for you to obey anything in your body. With spirit, soul, and, and body. With your body, you enact obediently. But there must be concord, accord, agreement between the mind of the spirit and the mind of the soul so that the individual in his body can obey God. I have found very often you can say yes, yes in your spirit. Green light in the spirit. This is of God. This, this, this wonderful resonance, consonance, agreement in my spirit. But do you know what? If God speaks to you about a matter and you say yes and agree, and if too much time is left for the enactment of the thing, there exists the possibility of an unrenewed area of your mind standing up in rebellion against the truth of what you've heard. So that is why obedience must be timeless. It must be urgent. Tell someone no delay. No delay. I, I have found the more I procrastinate or hesitate, the greater the enemy has possibility to challenge the truth of what I've heard. But the more and consistently, repetitively, systematically, I obey God's word, every act of obedience to truth I've become convinced of establishes a behavioral pattern in my life such that it can occur in time. I can do the thing as habit almost, almost reflexively without thinking. Reflexively without thinking. Such that, watch, even now, if I receive money, let's say 10,000 rand into my hand. Let me not reference the first fruit. Let me reference the tithe. Sometimes I will say to Renee, oh, we've got 9,000 rand. Someone just gave us 9,000. What am I done immediately? My mind is so habitual that I construe already 1,000 does not belong to us. It's the Lord's and we don't touch what is the Lord, so even in your speech and how you manage the thing, the enactment becomes so reflexive, so habitual, so normal for you. Let me just say this. I submit to you by the spirit of the sovereign Lord today, because your, your, your presence here is not coincidental, that you're going to find your obedience in reference to first fruits, tithes, and offerings so reflexive, so effortless, so inevitable, so normal, it will amaze you how you tripped up on these issues in a previous dispensation. Huh? Because you are in the presence of grace today. You're in the, there's a grace download for you that will propel the state of your obedience. Amen. So I submit to you that may the mind of your spirit agree with the mind of your soul. And may there be no delay in how you seek to practice and observe the obedience of this. Amen. Tell someone no delay.
Now, I need to, if you go to page 7, I want to read for the record. I want to read for the record. Matthew chapter 6 from verse 19 to 34. Because this is very, very important. Yesterday I said to you, first fruit offerings is probably the most courageous of offerings. The most daring, the most violent, the most uh, uh, um, forceful, taking everything out of the man. Literally because once you give it, you have nothing left. <laughs> At least when you offer your tithe, you have 90% left. But think about a typical farmer in Israel. First ripened harvest. He takes everything and he offers it. And his eyes on the harvest again. Right? So it is a violent demonstration of see how much I trust God. Trust my Father. Yeah? Trust Him com completely. But basically just to understand that I need to read this text. And I was thinking about just in meditation early this morning. And the Lord said read the text. Because if you are not convinced as to your sonship that God is your father and will take care of you, guess what? You're going to think like an orphan and think, now what are we going to do if we obey this principle? But you, God, your father, will take care of you. He's not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent of what he has said. Hath he not said it, and will he not make it good? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where the moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there will your heart be also and i said this to you that uh, you can easily locate where your heart is your heart is easy to find you simply look where your money goes the location of your money will reveal the location of your heart for where your treasure is there will your Heart be also. The flow of your expenditure patterns, how you administrate your finances on a monthly basis, will reveal the priorities that you and the values you hold dear to in your heart. I jokingly said that the guy who comes home for my daughter one day, I'm going to ask him three things. I won't tell you the three, but the one thing I will ask him is, can I see your bank account? Three months at least. Right? My daughter's only 12, right? So I'm bullying this out. Right? When he comes home, I'm going to ask, before we talk, bro, bring the bank account. Three months I want, at least. No, six months. Make it six months. <laughs> I'm not wanting to see how much you earn. Even if you're earning 100 rand a month, what you earn is not important to me. What is important to me is, are you honoring God financially? Because I'm not going to commit the hands of my daughter's financial future to a man that does not know how to honor God financially. So... If you examine your expenditure patterns, there must be evidence that you are honoring God in the process of how you administrate your, your, your finances. Okay, Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, and where your eye, when your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is, in dar is darkness, how great is that darkness? I will explain this verse on Sunday night. It's a very important verse. Because it is located directly after a portion of scripture that talks to treasure revealing the destination of your heart. And it starts to define your condition based upon how you administrate your finances. Okay, we'll talk more to that. So bump your neighbor and say, don't miss Sunday night. And then look immediately, verse 24, what does he say? No man can serve. 
two masters, this whole flow of discussion is about finances. No man can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth, or King James, God and mammon. Mammon is the personification here of Satan. Uh, money is not evil. The love of money is, right? There's nothing evil about money per se, but an attitude towards it could be evil. Okay? So mammon is the personification of the enemy who controls men through a particular devotion to money, a particular attitude toward money. And if you adopt that attitude, Jesus said, not serving God, you're serving Ammon. So the enemy can control people through attitudes in references to, to finance, particularly first fruits. You're violently and boldly, daringly declaring, I serve God. Therefore, I have no problems parting with this, the, this money to honor him because he is the source of all my growth, my fertility, my increase, my welfare, my sustainability. Everything comes from, from him. It's either God or mammon, it's not both. When he says you, you, no man can serve two masters, just that statement, Jesus sets forth the sheer impossibility of straddling two positions on this issue. You cannot do both. You've got to decide where you're going to stand. Right? got to decide where you're going to stand. And the one you hate will reveal the one you love. The one you're devoted to will reveal the one that you despise. You cannot serve both God and wealth. Verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, what you will drink, or your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into bonds. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than, than they? So God... Uh, Jesus here draws reference to the fact that God takes care of even birds. And who are you, being, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, uh, how they grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And then verse 31 says, do not worry. Now tell someone, do not worry. Right? Notice the context of these portions of Scripture is, starts off, do not store your treasure here on earth. Store your treasure in? Store your treasure in heaven. Where your treasure is, there will your, your heart be also. No man can serve two masters. Hate the one, love the other, despise the one, be devoted to the other. And Jesus directly goes to a discussion of how God will take care of you. How God will take care of you. How you administrate your finances in, references, in reference to how you spend money or give money to God's kingdom clearly testifies to where your reliance is clearly symptomatically speaks to where your confidence is and he says he can therefore say do not worry about your life saying what we will eat what we will drink what we will wear 
or clothing. For the Gentiles eagerly, everyone say eagerly seek. Now let me say not just the Gentiles, even some sons of God eagerly seek for these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek ye first the, the kingdom of his kingdom and his righteousness. And these things will be added to be added to you. I want to stop it just because of the sake of time. I said to you yesterday, first fruits is part of an overall economy of seeking first the kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and these things. What are these things? What you shall eat, what you shall drink, and what you shall wear. The concerns of life relative to welfare sustainability, perpetuity, for some survival. Those things are added to you if you seek God's kingdom, putting His kingdom first and His righteousness. God's kingdom refers to the right to rule, the right of sons of God to rule on the earth. Now part of when we say, Lord, I put your kingdom first, if you cannot rule finances you will rule very little else if you cannot bring in your financial world the kingdom principles to be brought to bear upon how you administrate finances there's very little else you can rule and i'll prove that to you on sunday evening for example jesus said if you are unfaithful with managing unrighteous mammon who then can commit to you the true riches of the, of the kingdom. There are true riches of the kingdom that are unlocked by how you faithfully administrate money. Money is a litmus test. Money is a, a gateway, if you would, for entrance. The faithful management of money is a gateway for entrance into the management of spiritual riches in, in the earth. Okay? So I want to encourage you, seek first the kingdom. So watch when I give first fruits to God, it's part of my expression of God. See how I seek your kingdom first. I'm putting your interests, your kingdom, your servants, your purposes, your will as priority within the affairs of my finances. And I'm simultaneously seeking your righteousness, which we defined as compliance to a, a heavenly standard or divine order. That's what righteousness is. Compliance to a divine order do you recall put hebrews 11 4 just to remind you by faith abel offered to god a better sacrifice than cain through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous so the act of giving his firstlings gave him a, a corroborated and affirmed his righteous position for many people say yes i am the righteousness of god in christ jesus true that that's true you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, uh, not having a righteousness of your own, but righteousness that is basically imputed to you by faith expressed in Christ. That is true. But being true, John says, who is righteous except he that practices righteousness? So righteousness, while positionally true, has got to be expressed by practice, I believe. So Jesus said to John, Suffer to it to be so now. Please baptize me because I must fulfill all. Come on, you know the scriptures. I must fulfill all righteousness. So he gave 
evidence. He gave testimony by external practical obedience to an already existent internal state. Positionally righteous, but practically expressing that which is true internally. Abel did the same. Watch. He offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, a first fruit. And he obtained a testimony that he was righteous. I believe when we give our first fruit. Again, I want to say it's a testimony to how we're seeking God's kingdom. We're saying, God, your kingdom first and your righteousness. And I do this as testimony to my positional state of, of righteousness. And I will not worry what I shall eat contextually, what I shall drink and what I shall wear, because I have a father that will never let me down. What did David say? I have been young. I have been old. I've never seen who forsaken. I have never seen righteousness forsaken in the earth. I've never seen the righteous man forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Amen. Righteousness. I believe first fruit offering is a righteous act. Amen. It's an act of righteousness for which I believe God will be faithful to reward you. Amen. Come on, bump your neighbor and say first fruits is an act of righteousness. How would you like, watch, I love the scripture. How would you like for God to testify about your gifts? It's fine if somebody else testifies about your gifts, right? We love to do it as human beings. But yeah, when this brother offered God, God I'm just dramatizing. I did, didn't do this right. I'm using my sanctified imagination. It's like he got up. Wow, this thing moved him. And he evoked something in him. Corroborated. Uh, 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 he, he gave approval and regard to the accuracy, the legitimacy of the man's gift that testified to his internal righteousness. Amen. You know, the, it's a big thing for me for God to testify about my gifts. Your gifts can be in the church record. Your tithes first written offerings. The pastor can say a few things about that. But if God is not talking, it's a big problem. Right? Because God knows the heart of the man. Hallelujah. God knows the heart of the individual. Amen. Come on, so just tell your neighbor, may God testify about your gifts. Come on, may God testify about your gifts. Now, go to page 8. I want to clarify... Or rather, let me, just, let me just say this. I'm just feeling something in my spirit. There's a text um, in Chronicles. You'll find this on page 4. In 2 Chronicles chapter 31 and verse 4 at the bottom of the page. Page 4 at the bottom of the page. Or you can follow with me on the board here. 2 Chronicles 31 verse 4 and 5. Whenever Israel went into spiritual decline, the nation would also wane in the observance of first fruits, tithes, and offerings. And usually God would have to raise up a reformer to call the nation back to financial accuracy. Um, I give a few examples in the manual. There's a title later on in this chapter called First Fruits and Reformation. Okay? Examples of this would be men like Hezekiah, men like Nehemiah. Uh, the well-known one is Malachi. Malachi chapter 3 where he, listen carefully, he authoritatively called the nation back to the observance in his context of tithes and offerings. Wherein as you robbed me, declares the Lord. He said in tithes and, and offerings. So whenever Israel was in spiritual decline, they would wane on their practice of giving. First fruits, tithes and offerings. Something similar happened here in this day in Hezekiah. 
And Hezekiah is raised up as a reformer, an apostolic reformer in his day to bring financial order back to the house. He does bring the church back or the nation back to accuracy in many respects, but also financially. And watch, he commanded the people. Everyone say he commanded. Is a command a suggestion? No, no. Is he hinting? He's blatant. He's bold. He called the nation. Watch. No one is practicing first fruits, tithes, and offerings for years, right? He says something's wrong here. God speaks to him, authoritatively calls the nation, and the scripture says he commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. Because obviously religious function was being neglected because they left their offices in pursuit of jobs in the workplace, for working farms, etc. So they could not devote themselves to the law of the Lord. Hezekiah says something is drastically wrong here. Let's reinstate. Let's give the priests their due. Verse 5 says this. As soon as the order, everyone say an order. And I'm feeling in the present season in which we are living, there's an apostolic command going forth throughout the global church. It's an order. It's not a suggestion. It's a bold, authoritative call. This comes with great authority like it did in Hezekiah's day. And I speak on behalf of the Lord as I teach today to all who is listening that this is something presently in the heart of God. But I want to say also, do not respond simply because it is voiced. Respond because you have a revelation of the truth in your heart. I want to say also, no one is coerced to observe this practice. Until it becomes a revelation to you, you so enact it. Amen? But I believe in a culture like this, kings were raised up because it, what, it was presumed to be what should be true for the nation, a practice from which they departed. And our reformer stands and gives an order. And I like the response of the nation. It says, as soon as the order was spread, the sons of Israel provided what? In a, but I would love to have seen this. I would love to have been there. And they provided in abundance the first fruit of grain, the new wine, the oil, the honey, of all the produce of the field. And, and they brought in abundantly the, the tithe of all. So there were two expressions of giving here. The first fruit and separately the, separately the tithe. So I really want to encourage you, if you've been hearing us, have you sensed the urgency in the sound of the voice of the Lord? Yeah? And I really believe God is calling the global church back to this practice. Look at chapter, uh, chapter 26 of Deuteronomy. You can read with me in page 8 on your manual. Now I have to read these scriptures because I believe more than... I convincing you, the word of God must convince you. Amen. How many people love God's word? Amen. We love God's word. And you will see, I believe in the reading of the scripture. For in the reading of the scripture, with anointing and with authority, in itself speak. Now there's an interesting passage here in Deuteronomy chapter 26. Okay. Then it shall be when you will enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, as an inheritance, and you possess it and live in it. So let me just stop there. It's when you enter. 
these commands were given very early in their journeys in the wilderness. My point is, why, and, these, and Deuteronomy, as you know, is a re-echo of the command, the law the second time, right? Now, why give people commands when they don't own anything? No land, they're not farmers yet, but God is speaking about when you come in, right, you shall observe these practices. You see, God wanted to establish the principle firmly within their hearts and minds even before they came into the inheritance, while they were journeying, so that by the time they came into the inheritance, the observance of these principles would be automatic, axiomatic, almost reflexive, right? It would be normal. It would be habitual. God had to ingrain the principle in the mind first before with their bodies they would enact the principle. Amen? You know what people say to me? Oh, I can't afford to give it now. But when I get my breakthrough, wow, bro, then you're going to see. Then I'm going to observe tithes, first fruits, offering, right? And we often say, Samson taught us this. He said, you will do exactly with a lot what you do with a little. You will do exactly with a lot what you do with a little. So don't say when you have a little. When I get a lot, then I'll change my behavior. You've got to ingrain the mentality within your mind while you have a little. Start to manage your little and honor God so that you will do exactly the same with much when God blesses you. So even before they had nothing, God ingrained the principles into the mindsets of His people so that by the time He blesses them, there would be a natural of honoring God with all that they had. So tell your neighbor, start where you are. Just start where you are. Just start where you are and start being faithful. Be consistent, be systematic, be serious, and watch God prove Himself faithful in your life. Amen? Watch God prove yourself faithful in His life. I can talk from personal experience in my history. So can you. Do you know that in seasons when you fail to honor God financially and you thought to make ends meet was probably the worst time of your life financially. But when you chose to honor God financially and put Him first in the face of multitude of needs, was the seasons God came through for you, not so? Amen? So when you give your tithe, God proves that 90% is greater than 100%. This won't make mathematical sense, right? But God can, can make what is left cover a multitude of needs than what could be covered with the entirety of the, of, of the money. Amen? So, verse 2, Take some of the first fruits of the produce of the ground which you bring in from the land the Lord your God gives you, and you'll put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish His name, to the priest who is in office at that time. And you will say to him, I declare today. Watch. This is when now God is saying, when you come into the land and you come into experience harvest, you'll put the harvest in a basket, take it to the priest, and this is what you will say to the priest. I declare today to the Lord my God that I have entered the land. Everyone say, entered the land. I have entered the land which the Lord God swore to the fathers to give me. Listen, let me make a point here. Besides giving, I believe, in a specific calendar year, the first week's income to the Lord. There are other occasions in the year when first fruits should be observed. For example, um, if, if I change jobs, and let's say the Lord has blessed me with a wonderful new job, I believe as you start the season, that will be typically your new land your new sphere, your new phase, 
a new era, a new start for you. Okay? Um, amazing to us, when we heard of the first root teaching, I had just resigned from full-time employment as a high school teacher, and I taught for, for 17 years. High school, okay? I just looked this young, okay? <laughs> for 17 years, being a high school teacher, and uh, I read an article, by the way, the other day of what ages people. And you know what was on the list? Teaching. <laughs> I said, but that didn't work with me. <laughs> I taught for 17 years, and I got younger every year. And they were, the psychologists were, uh, were alluding to the levels of stress, responsibility, attendance with the job, how it ages people. Okay? So for all the teachers that are here, may the... the the youth of the Lord be your portion. Amen. Oh, yeah, a new cycle, a new change. So I had resigned from teaching after teaching for 17 years. And I'd entered so-called full-time ministry, being remunerated by the church in April of a specific year. And that year, I got my first income from the church and offered the entire thing as a first offering. Didn't touch it. This is my new land. This is my new phase. This is a new cycle, a new season for me. Ever since that day, we all always observe April as our first fruit month. So it doesn't have to be January of a calendar year for you. It could be any year that is relevant or significant to a specific change of season within your life. Okay? I, I might also add, you could observe first fruits even when you get an increase in an existing salary. So you were earning 10,000 rand a month. Your boss calls you in and said, because I like you so much. Uh, you're now going to earn 12,000 rand a month. So in the month in which you receive the increase, I believe, don't touch the increase. This is a first. So I take, honor the Lord with the first fruit of your increase, Proverbs 3 says. I take this increase and I explain in the notes how that increase doesn't just refer to harvest in a uh, re recruit from a, 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 a cycle of, of sowing and, re and, and, and harvesting product. Your, 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 it doesn't just refer to that increase, but increase also refers to a, a new level in abundance relative to Pacific practice. It's explained in the notes if you find it. I'm just, I'm just moving fast because of time. So I believe then whenever somebody gets an increase in a salary, in the month in which you got the increase, take the entire increase and offer it as a, as a first fruit offering. Okay? And then in the subsequent months, you can just tithe off from it. Okay. Now, here's the interesting thing, and uh, I want to drop down directly to, so he says, I've entered the land, verse 11, verse 12. When you have finished paying all the tithes of your increase in the third year, I'll explain that in my teachings on tithing, this verse, in the year of tithing, you will give it to the Levite, to the stranger, to the orphan, to the widow, that they might eat in their towns and be satisfied. You shall say before the Lord your God, watch, I have removed the, everyone say the sacred portion. So this passage is talking about honoring God with first fruits, tithes, and offerings. And now when the offerer comes to the priest, he will say to the priest, I've not touched the sacred portions. I have removed the, the sacred portions. From my house and also have given it to the Levite and to the alien and to the orphan and to the, the widow according to your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed 
nor have I forgotten any of your commandments. I have not eaten it while mourning, nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean, nor offered any of it to the dead. I have listened to the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. Now, look down from your holy habitation. This offer is challenging God. He says, I have not forgotten. I have not succumbed to the temptation to use it while I was mourning. Right? The press of my personal needs did not seduce me away from observing the practice. And the offerer, God says, when you offer and you bring it to the priest, you will boldly say, I've removed it and I've, I've been faithful to observe it. And then the offerer will say, now God, look down from heaven. Look down from your habitation and bless your people. Okay? This is a very bold statement. You know, it is so tempting to take what is God's portion and use it for your own needs. And I think we're all guilty of that at some point or the other, myself included. Okay? But we've repented of these things. You know, Jericho was a type of a first fruit offering. Jericho was the first city to be taken. Not so? What did God say? Don't touch the first. Touch the rest, but not the first. The first is devoted to me. Achan thought he could steal a few items and hide it in his, in his tent, and he reaped the displeasure of the Lord. I want to encourage you to not succumb to the temptation to, to, to misdirect what is due to God to your own personal needs or, and or circumstances. Go to page 13, just in the interest of time. We have 10 minutes before we break. I said to you, it'll be the first week's income in a calendar year, but let that grow as your faith grows. Not so. Let that increase as your faith increases. Look at the center of the page there, where all the bullets are. Second bullet, the first week salary in a new job. I explained that. Third point, the first commission received. Fourthly, the first week's turnover made. That's if you're a business person. Uh, fifthly, the entire portion of a new salary increase in a specific month. Once off, that is the portion of, of the increment in the, in the salary. Okay? On page 14, on page 14, if you go to page 14, the last item, an instance, I believe, where first fruits could be offered, is the first of any financial receipt within a calendar year, like an honorarium, first financial gift received, etc. If that receipt of financial income is perpetual and recurrent, that is, if there's an anticipation or ex expectation that there will be future such financial receipts in that calendar year. Let me explain. What I practice is this. Apart from honoring the Lord in the first month, okay, or if there's changes in salary, we will give a first fruit. We also, when we travel, if I'm going to a nation for the first time, we take the entire honorarium, we don't touch it, and we offer it to the Lord as a first fruit offering. Why? It was, it was a first time in that area. It was the first receipt of income. Don't touch it. Now, you, I really want to encourage you. That is why it's not be legalistic about these issues. Be led and be governed by the, by the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Ghost will guide you. If you deem or if you expect or anticipate 
future incomes from that specific source or venture. Don't touch the first. Honor God with the first and see how He will bless the rest. Amen? See how He will, how he will bless the rest. Now, a burning question to whom is first fruits directed? Right? Now, obviously, in the Old Covenant, the priests were the recipient, high priest, that is, for example, Aaron, would be the recipient of the, the first fruits. So, in the nation of Israel, you had the Levitical tribe, the tribe of Levi, that did not own land. And from the Levites, the priests would be drawn. From the priests, the high priest would be drawn. When Israel tithed, they tithed to who? To the Levites. The 11 tribes tried tithe to the Levitical tribe. These Levites collectively will take a tithe of that collected tithe and tithe to the high, to the high priest. All first fruits collected within the nation of Israel were directed immediately straight to the, to the high priest. Okay? And there are multiple scriptures to demonstrate this in the interest of time. I'm not going to read all the scriptures on page 14 and 15, but it, they all demonstrate how that the first fruit was directed to the, the priest who was in leadership, the high priest who was in leadership at that specific time of, or period of, of Israel at that specific time. Now, a modern-day equivalent would be, now, I need to say this, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, specifically, more courageously, the high priesthood of all believers. Because as he is, so are we in this, in this present age. Now, while all believers are priests unto God, God has set um, some ministers or gifts in the body of Christ to represent him in certain functions. And those are specialist ministers the fivefold ministers will be a part of this group, and they are given to men to represent God in specific aspects in terms of spiritual ministry to those individuals. In a local household of faith, like a local church, it would be the set man or the spiritual father who has custody over the souls of men, and he has oversight and will one day give an account before God to them. In that respect, he will function as a high priest over the church, although everyone is really a priest, specifically a high priest, unto God. So I'm using it in reference to that economy. So in modern day, the, 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 the first fruit is directed to a person. It will be the spiritual father or the priest over your life who has custody over your soul. Now, a lot of people have problems with this. You know why? For two reasons. Firstly, they think institutionally. Now, all giving, listen carefully, most of giving, let me qualify that. A lot of giving is personal and not institutional. So, Abraham will give Melchizedek a tithe. Right? In, in the church, when we receive tithes, for example, on a Sunday morning, it's in honor of the storehouse. Not so. Bring all the tithes into the, not the house. Should have said the house. But he said bring the tithes into the storehouse. The storehouse is not the house. The storehouse is the store in the house. In other words, 
the person in whom God has vested grace in terms of oversight or leadership, the, the, the filter or the conduit, the disseminator and the distributor of the grace of God via the word of the Lord to people is the store in the house. Now, I'm, when, when I, please don't hear what I'm not saying. For example, in our church, we collect tithes every Sunday, for example. That doesn't come to me personally. But in the mindset of the givers, it is to honor the Levites. It's to honor those who work in a full-time capacity, specifically those who have been graced to give uh, leadership and grace by the word of the Lord. Now, I don't, for, to ease your mind, I don't get all of that money. I don't know what some of you are thinking. Wow, this man's rich. No, 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 no. We administrate things very wisely. We have a church bank account and all those monies are filtered into the church bank account. We have auditors that, that check our books every single year. I specifically draw a set salary from that every month. So nothing, none of, not, not all of it comes directly to me as a person. I need to say that. A lot of it's used for multitude of needs, both administratively and personally of people in the house. Okay? And to facilitate and push the purposes of God globally. Okay? So it's used uh, for, for that end. But so Israel was commanded. Now, if you were an Israelite living in Israel's economy and God said, take all the first fruits to the priest. Take it to the individual. A second uh, uh, a reason why people have problems with this is they fail to understand the principle of representation. That it's not a man that you are giving it to. It's to whom he represents. So Jesus said, if you receive the one I send, you have received me, and you have even received the one who, the one who sent me. So if I, for example, take my first fruit to my spiritual father in Christ, it's a personal thing for me. I don't think organizationally. I don't think the church or the organization that he represents as an entity. I think personally. I say to God, you provide grace to me through this individual. He preaches, he teaches, he shares doctrine, and grace flows to me. And that grace makes me successful and efficient in all that you called me to. Now, the first receipt of income I get from my activities, I come and I give it to you, represent in the person, I honor you that way. Now, if you fail to see the connection between the representation of the person in reference to God, you will have a problem managing this personally. Okay? Now, um, in terms of the administration of funds, a lot of people might give it personally or privately. I believe the administration of the first offering must be governed by the conviction of the giver. It must be governed by the conviction of the giver based upon where he is in his revelation of things. I have no problem, and there are some people even in our local church that filter their first fruit offerings to our church account. No problem. They're giving it organizationally, giving it institutionally. A large uh, uh, portion of people would do it privately and, and personally. And for me, it's a very sacred thing, and it's a pity we're running late with time. But when you get back, I will explain the fear of God that should attend the administration and management of first-fruit offerings, right? Because this teaching in the hands of the wrong leaders, can you see? Can you hear? 
this teaching in the hands of those who are greedy and self-indulgent and peddle the word of God for, for, for self-gain, right, um, is very, very dangerous. The scripture clearly teaches an elder must be free from the love of money, right? He must, not, he must be free from and not prone to falling prey to the love of money um, in, in these matters, okay? Now, just to illustrate, I, want, I need to illustrate this, and then we'll break. Okay, is that fair? On, on page 17 there, there was a battle, and Moses and the Israelites got great victory. So there was this booty, spoil of war collected, page 17. Right, page 17. In fact, go directly to page 18. So, the booty was collected, right? Now, don't refer to the table yet. The booty was collected. The spoil of war. And God specifically says, give half to the soldiers and half to the people. Divide everything in half. Those who fought must give half. And those, the rest of the people living in the town that did not fight, they must get the balance. Now, if you look in the table, of the half given to the soldiers, God then said, one in 500 of that value must be given to Eleazar, the reigning high priest. Look at one example. Just take asses, donkeys, right? 61,000 was, was the booty from the war. Half of that is 30,500. One in 500 of that would be 61, right? So what did Eleazar, the priest, get? 61 asses. A lot of asses for one man, right? God's priority was he be honored. By virtue of what he represents... By virtue of what he represents. And look at, look at the asses. The other half, 30,500, uh, 1 in 50 is to be given to the, uh, the Levites, the tribe of, of Levi. Okay? So I'm just referencing this case study. There exists in Scripture very clear examples of how God wanted those who represent him to be well taken care of. Okay, the, the, the high priest in that economy was used, was permitted to use some of that for his own personal needs and to administrate corporate needs. I believe the flow of money should not just be one directional, right? But there should be a flow of money from the receipt of the person who receives that to the corporate body of Christ. And I will explain this in a bit more detail later. Just to reference one point, of all the reformers, Financially, I love Nehemiah. What is Nehemiah known for? The rebuilding of the wall. But that's only what? Nehemiah, maybe up to chapter 6. Right? There's a balance of the book there, right? <laughs> and he did a lot of great things. One of the greatest things Nehemiah did was to bring the nation back to financial order. Right? And look what he did. He brought the nation back to the practice of first fruits, tithes, and offerings. I'll read the scriptures later. But in Numbers 12, verse 44. It says, on that day, sorry, Nehemiah 12.44. On that day, men were also appointed over the chambers, over the stores, for the contributions. Everyone say the contributions. That's offerings, contributions, Greek word offerings, comma, first fruits and tithes. Threefold giving, first fruits, tithes, offerings, right? To gather in them for the fields of the cities, the portions required by law for the priests and the Levites. Why? 
The word for means because. Why? Why? Because. What did Judah do? This tribe. Judah rejoiced over who? Over the priests and the Levites who served. Until you rejoice over your priest, until the revelation of what your priest and, and what he does represents to you, the observance of first fruits, tithes, and offerings will always be challenged. You see, it is born out of a revelation of what the person represents. When, when I took, I went to Trinidad last year for my first time, and they gave me a very significant honorarium. Let me just say that at a time when I needed the money very badly. <laughs> but even before we left, I said to Renee, okay, we're going on this trip. You know that our practice is whatever we get from this trip is going straight to the Lord. We honor him as our first fruits, okay? And um, I came back late a particular day. My first priority the next day was to make the transfer. I went to the bank because I had to change it. It was in dollars. I went to the bank. I changed it. And I deposited the money into a specific account he uses to manage first fruits. And you know what? Joy welled up in my heart. I said as I did it, God, I'm not honoring a man. Yes, I am. I respect the individual. But this is in honor of you expressed in and through the functionality of a spiritual father that you've placed over my life. I bless you. I honor you with the first fruit of my substance. Okay, it's very important. Tell someone, it's not to men, it's to God. But men receive it on behalf of God and administrate it accordingly. Right? And administrate it accordingly. And that is very, very important. Amen.